from Luke chapter 2 verses 22 through 38 and when they when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right, good morning, family. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get right down to work this morning. Father, we thank you for choosing to pursue us for our good. We deserved your judgment. Uh, we deserved it. We'd rebelled from you, but you chose mercy instead of judgment. You poured that judgment out on Jesus instead of us. And uh, as a result, we know life and we're adopted into your family. Jesus, we thank you for taking our place, both in living the perfect life we could never live, but also accepting the punishment that was due to us for our rebellion. You died in our place, but you also rose again and your resurrection gives us new life by faith. And Spirit, we thank you for bringing our hearts to life. We thank you for giving us ears to hear our Father's voice, and we would pray that you would do that again for us this morning. Open our ears, tune us in so we hear exclusively, we hear our Dad's voice. Help us to receive that voice as good and trustworthy and to respond with, respond to it in humility and in obedience and with joy. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So good morning, family. It's good to see all of you here this morning. We are in the final week of our Advent series, which we had entitled Holding Fast to the Confession of Our Hope. And throughout the series, we've been reminded that Jesus alone is our hope. Hope isn't just something he gives us. He is our hope. And so we hold fast to him. 
We, we cling to him for our hope rather than clinging to our circumstances. We don't find our hope there. Rather than clinging to other people, ultimately, that's not where our hope lies. And rather than clinging even to ourselves to find hope deep down within us. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity helps us unlearn that manner of living where we used to cling to ourselves, our circumstances, and other people. And now we're all in on Jesus as our hope. And we rehearsed Psalm 62.1 over and over again. Psalm 62.1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. So we've rehearsed this, and to the extent we're able, we're pra- we've practiced that uh, together as a family in our Sunday gatherings, and we've encouraged to really work more intentionally at living this way in the quiet moments of our life. Uh, from Monday through Saturday, that we would really discipline ourselves to wait on our Father alone, even in silence, believing that whatever my soul needs at any given time does not come from another person, does not come from better circumstances, does not even come from myself, comes from my Father. So we wait. So we know these things. No new information was presented during Advent. All of this was purely rehearsal and reminder. We need those rehearsals and we need those reminders. But this year was hard. 2020 was hard. And there were many days, if we were to be honest with each other, which hopefully we all know in this family that is a value and we can be honest with each other, we can go around this room right now and agree that there were many days we did not hold fast to our dad. And maybe even right now this morning, we're still not. We're not. Like, we agree with this, and we know it's right, and we know we need it, but we're just not holding fast. Or maybe there were many days that we did not lead our souls to wait for God alone in silence. And honestly, maybe it's been a while since any one of us have really, or since, since we've actually sat down at our Father's feet in silence and just said to Him, Dad, I'm going to wait. My soul is hungry, and I need, and my life has been too consumed with going, pursuing what I need in every other place but you, and I'm done. I'm going to wait and get that from you. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's been a while. In many days this year, we have disbelieved and doubted that our rescue comes from Him. And again, in full honesty, in every one of our hearts, there is a pocket of doubt that remains this morning. It's there, and it needs the gospel. And we know, because Jesus told us, we talked about this a few nights ago, next year is going to be hard. It's not just 2020 that's hard. Uh, Jesus said to His family, He said, family, in the world you will have trouble. And he also said, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, 2020 had a sufficient amount of trouble. That's also his way of saying to us prophetically, 2021 will also have its sufficient amount of trouble. That is life in this broken world. And so this year brought hard days which exposed our tendencies of not holding fast and waiting for God, right? That's what 2020 did to us. Humbled us and exposed some of this tendency in our hearts. But Jesus would have us know this morning that 21 will have similar days. It will have sufficient trouble. It will be filled with its own shadows and darknesses as well. I like this Tolkien quote. Don't hate me. Not a huge Tolkien story guy, but I like his quotes. And he said this in one of his stories. Maybe you know it. In the end, this shadow is only a passing thing. Darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the, when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. That is a beautiful statement of profound gospel hope. But here's the reality. When you're in the shadows, it's really hard to remember that they pass. 
As a child, I grew up in rural Vermont, barefoot out in the yard and hayfields most of the time. And one of the games that we would play is shadow running. Did you ever play shadow running growing up? You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're poor and you don't have real toys, you just do whatever. I mean, so we shadow ran. So you're out in the yard, sun's out, but there's lots of clouds, wind's blowing the clouds around. And so the shadows are shifting through your yard. And to win, you have to stay in the sunlight. You make it into the shadows. You can't get out of the shadows. You die. You lose, right? Shadow running. It's a fun game. It's a fun game. But as a little child, sometimes those shadows are overwhelming, right? Especially when you're younger and the bigger kids are staying out. And sometimes you're enveloped in these shadows and you feel like it is impossible to get out. Why? Because the wind blows the clouds faster than you can run. And so you can never outrun the shadows. We joke, but that's exactly how we feel in tough seasons. I can never outrun this shadow. When your days are lived in darkness, it's hard to believe that a new day will come and the sun will shine. So here's the question, family. What do we do next year in 21 when we find ourselves in new shadows and new dark places? 2020 is old. We're kind of used to the shadows and dark places we're living in this year, kind of numb to some of them. 21's coming, and there will be new challenges, new struggles. So what do we do, family, when we find ourselves in these seasons in a new year? There's a fantastic passage in Deuteronomy that actually gives us the answer to that question, and it will set up our passage in Luke really well. In Deuteronomy, the problem that was being addressed was God's family, again, had turned their backs on God. They had, just like what we talked about, just like us, they had, it been a while since they'd sat at his feet and waited on him. They were pursuing their hope in other people, other circumstances, even themselves. Uh, So they weren't being quiet. They weren't waiting. They weren't running after God. They were running away from God. They weren't waiting. They weren't holding fast to him. And so they're confronted as a family in Deuteronomy 32. And part of the remedy that our father says to his family, so he's saying to us this morning, is remember the days of old consider the years of many generations. And here's, here's the key line I want to focus in on. Ask your dad and he will show you. Ask the old people among you and they will tell you. Elders is just the respectful way of saying the old people in your family. Ask them, ask your dad, ask the old people and they will tell you. What is being communicated is this, when you can't see past the shadows and the darkness, either the shadows and darkness of your own making or the shadows and darkness that you have found yourself in that you just really had nothing to do with, but here they are. When you find yourself there and you can't see past them, ask old people who can see past them for you. Or if that's offensive to you, ask older people who can see past them for you. So what are we asking these old people to show us? What stories do we need to hear from them? If you read Deuteronomy 32, and you should read the whole thing later today, but we're just going to focus on these two verses. Verse 10, here's part of the story that they communicate. And the word he is, the pronoun is for God, talking about God as father. And the pronoun him is talking about Jacob, one of their, you know, the the fathers of the, the family. But when it's used in this way, it's being used collectively of the whole family, right? But he's talking about Jacob. So God found Jacob. And so by default, he finds our family in a desert land. God finds us there. And in the howling wasteland of the wilderness. And what did he do for him there? He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. So what are we asking the old people in our family to tell us? Exactly this. When we are blinded by the shadows and the darkness and we cannot see or remember this for ourselves, we need an old person to say, son, sit down. 
Let's go to lunch. Let me tell you a story from my life. Let me tell you about how God found me when I was in the wilderness. Let me tell you about how God found me when I was in the wasteland of my own wilderness, a wilderness of my own making. And let me tell you how he encircled me. That word encircled literally is to build a fence around somebody for their protection and their safety and their keeping. Let me tell you what God did to keep me safe when I was self-destructing in a wilderness. Let me tell you what God did for me to encircle me when I was drowning in pain and sorrow in this wilderness. Let me tell you how he cared for me. Let me tell you how he kept me as the apple of his eye. We need those stories from old people. Because when we're in the shadows in the dark places, we forget them and we can't see them for ourselves. So here's our big idea for this morning. If hope in Jesus is to endure through life's long shadows and dark seasons, so I'm talking about your hope right now, my hope. If our hope is going to endure through the long place, the dark places, the shadows, it will do so. It will endure with the help of gray-haired women and men who have waited in the darkness, but now see the sun. Or, put simply, because I'm a simple guy, you need old people, okay? You, we're not going to remember all that. Fine, fair. I should know better by now. We can remember that. You need old people in your life to see and to show you when you can't see. You need old people to laugh with you and to cry with you when you think you are barren, when you miscarry, when you are far from home. You need people to cry with you. Old people, when you, when you find out you have miscarried or when, you have, when somebody has broken up with you, you need an old person to vet your boyfriend and to vet your girlfriend. They've got to pass the grandma test or the grandpa test. You need an old person to gently correct your parenting. You know, it's kind of funny. We spend most of our teen years running from old people, believing we know better and we don't need them. We spend most of our 20s wrecking because we've done so. And most of our 30s saying, man, if only I had listened to those old people, like they knew something. Guys, this is God's grace here saying you can avoid that cycle that most of us live through. You need old people. So I'm not a big title guy, but we do put the sermons online, so we have to title them just for that reason alone. So I was kind of wrestling with titles this week. You can help me out. Uh, let me know, and we'll just go with your title uh, before it goes up. Because here's what I had. As of this morning, I had geriatrics and Jesus. But then I, yeah, see, cringeworthy. And we FaceTimed with my mom this morning, and it did not pass the mom test. So set that one aside. Um, then I went to my second favorite. It's called, get this, Fossil Fueled Faith. See what I did there? Fossil fuel. That's my favorite, but we can't put that online. So I shouldn't have even said it right now, but I like it. So then I'm just going with a change to a Garth Brooks title. Instead of friends in low places, I've got friends in old places. But like I said, just give me some help. Come up with an alternative title for me. I'd appreciate it. Guys, the premise is you need old people. I like guess what the Spirit is telling us this morning through the Word. You're never too old for an older person and in your youth, man, which most of us are, you, most of you are, you need old people in your life. But not just any old person, right? Age is not necessarily equated with wisdom. Age is not always um, uh, gospel-rooted wisdom. Gray hair, white hair, bald heads, not always equated with wisdom. So we're looking for somebody, we're looking for a profile of a person that is very specific. And we see that profile right before our eyes in Luke 2 this morning when we're introduced to Simeon and to Anna. 
two very old people, one man, one woman. We meet Simeon together, or first. Uh, Anna will will enter into the storyline in a few moments. And we meet Simeon when Mary and Joseph took a road trip to Jerusalem shortly after Jesus' birth. He was their firstborn son to fulfill some Jewish custom that was absolutely critical for them to fulfill. So they enter into Jerusalem, and here's where we meet Simeon, verse 25 of chapter 2. It's exactly what was read for us by Grant a few moments ago. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous. Okay, we're starting to see this profile emerge. He's righteous. He's devout. He's waiting. He's a waiting man for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. There's another piece of our profile. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon had received a special promise from the Spirit that was really unique to him. So in Simeon, we begin to see this profile emerge of this older person that we, uh, according to Deuteronomy 32, actually are commanded to pursue because who's the onus on in Deuteronomy 32 relationally? Us. The command is go ask, go seek them out, right? So here's who we're looking for. First of all, first of all, in verse 25, we learn that Simeon is righteous. That word righteous does not mean perfect or sinless. It means that he lived by faith in God. In other words, righteous means that you're acutely self-aware. The gospel has made you self-aware. You thought you were good. Um, You thought you were righteous, but then the gospel opens your eyes and you're like, wow, I am not righteous at all. I desperately need Jesus. So righteousness, one of the first signs of righteousness is a humble person, a humble older man or humble older woman. woman. So they talk less about themselves in a good light, and and they talk more in an honest light of how desperately they need Jesus. So it doesn't mean perfect or sinless. It means that you're aware that you're not perfect. You're not sinless. Jesus is perfect and sinless in my behalf. And so by faith, uh, believing that Jesus' righteousness is credited to me by faith, we are all in on Jesus, and we run from believing that there's any good in ourselves. That's what Romans says. Faith in Jesus is counted as righteousness in God's eyes. So we're talking about faith in God. And what does that look like in an older person's life? When life is good, I run to, they run to Jesus and they thank him that it's good. That's what righteousness looks like. When life is hard, they run to Jesus in the pain, in the sorrow. That's what righteousness looks like. When failure happens, we run to Jesus and we confess and we cry out to help for help. When there's success, we run to Jesus and we give him credit for success. We talk less about the good things that we have done in life and more about the good things that Jesus has done. This old person tells all of their stories with Jesus as the hero. That's what righteousness is and that's what righteousness sounds like. It's living by faith in Jesus. He wasn't just righteous. says he was devout in verse 25. To be devout means you're careful and diligent about something. Many of you are devout CrossFitters or runners or gym rats or you're devout in your occupation. And you know exactly what that means. It means you give yourself to this thing first and most. You give it your best time and your best energy because you're thoroughly invested in this thing. Simeon was invested in this way in his relationship with God. So he gave God his best and his first and his most. He was serious about it. Somebody who is devout is diligent. 
to be diligent mean you plan for something to pursue it. Uh, this is the time of year we ask each other about New Year's resolutions, and the most common response you get is, eh, not really a big New Year's resolution person, which is fine. You don't have to be. Um, however, devout is all about resolutions. And to be devout is not just about resolutions in private. To be devout is, it's the person on Facebook who annoys us a little bit because they always post their exercise results or whatever. But that's, that's what it means to be devout. You have these commitments and these passions, so you make these resolutions, and then you go public with the resolutions, so you have accountability. That's what it means to be devout. So an old person who is devout, as it relates to their relationship with God, is passionate about it. So they give him their first, their most, their best. They, they, they go public about it. They make resolutions and they plan. And other people are aware of these resolutions, not as a way to brag, but as a way that they're inviting accountability into their lives. So a devout old person has a dog-eared Bible with stained pages around the edges. A a, a devout older person writes things down in journals to help them remember and to help them plan. A devout old person memorizes Scripture, and you know it because when you're in conversation with them, it flows out of their mouth. A devout older person gathers with God's people. When the family gathers, they gather. They're, just, they're consistent. They show up, and they're present. That's what it means to be devout. So he was righteous. He was devout. He was waiting. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation means comfort through rescue. That's what it means, comfort through rescue. Their rescue was, uh, or the, the consolation he was hoping for was the coming of the promised rescuer. So guys, the relationship between waiting and hope is this. We wait for the thing or the person that we hope in. That's how we know what we're hoping in or for. We can, we can, we can discern what we're hoping in by uh, where our time is spent in waiting. You wait on the one who can provide what you need. And so the old person we're looking for has spent a lifetime waiting, not in a hurry, just kind of there, they're patient, and they, here's what we're looking for. We're looking for an older person who's not constantly running after the new thing or the next thing or the popular thing. They don't need it because they're not buying into the lie that this new thing, next thing, popular thing is what their soul needs. Their soul is satisfied in Jesus, and for any area of their soul that is not dissatisfied, they just know that satisfaction only comes through the Father. So they're not running. They're just waiting. They're waiting. They've spent a lifetime waiting. Actually, honestly, to be, be true, people like Simeon probably have spent many times in their lives running after those things, and they've learned, and God has been patient with them, and so they can speak into our running and help us become waiters as well. So he's a waiting man righteous, devout, waiting. He was led by God's Spirit. Now there's a special sense in which the Spirit was communicating with Simeon. None of us in this room have received this kind of promise from the Spirit in this overt way. I mean, old boy was told, dog, you're not going to die until you see the promise rescuing king. This was a special gift to Simeon. But the Spirit speaks to us through our Father's Word. In the same way the Holy Spirit reveals truth to Simeon, the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us as well. And so we're looking for an old person who hears the Spirit's voice through the Father's Word. And we're looking for an old person who sees stuff in people in life because they are listening to the Spirit's voice. Right? Less voice from social media and less voice from culture and less voice from popular news and less voice from the drama and more voice from the Spirit. 
And so they hear and they see, and because they hear and see, they can say, they have words to say that have come from the Spirit through the Father's Word, and they live in response. And so there's a calm humility led by the Spirit. So, so far, what we can review in this profile, this old person that we're looking for, uh, they are righteous, living by faith in Jesus. They are devout, like serious and diligent, getting after their relationship. They're not in retirement. They're not cruising. They're not just easing out of life. If anything, in their age, they've ramped it up, and they're more serious about investing themselves relationally in Christ. And they're led by the Spirit. There's more. We see Simeon. Now, Simeon, there's this beautiful moment where he sees Jesus in person and listen to what he says in verse 27. It says, Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him, according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. You hear what he just said, right? What does that mean to depart in peace? I can die now and I'm okay. I am okay with dying. No fear, no anxiety. I'm okay. I can, I can die actually in peace. You know, peace means like wholeness. It means wellness of the soul and the spirit. How countercultural is that? We're, we're not exposed to death very much on a day-to-day basis. Culturally, we're very fearful of death. The old person we're looking for has a profound sense of peace and okay. And this is actually going to be good for me. That's the person we're looking for. Letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, his hope had been fulfilled. Why? Because my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So God had fulfilled his promise to Simeon. Simeon said, according to your word, God did exactly what he said he would do. Simeon's eyes had seen the promised salvation. And so we know in this moment, who's he looking at? Jesus. So this is old man Simeon's way. This is scripture's way of saying, this is the spirit's way of saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, right? That's that's what that means. He's looking at Jesus saying, here he is. Here's the promised rescuing king. And here's the fulfillment of everything the scriptures have been pointing to. Everything the prophets have said all point to this one right here. He's the consolation of Israel. He's the comfort of God's people. He is the, notice what he says, he is the Lord's Christ. Did you see that in the text? He's the Lord's Christ. Now, um, just to, just for the record, we know that Jesus Christ is not his name, right? So Jesus is his name. Christ is a title. So here in this text, we're, we're getting an understanding. Um, Christ means the Messiah or the promised rescuing king, the promised rescuing servant who is a king. And so taken together, it's Simeon's way of saying Jesus is this one. He's God's promised rescuing king. There's a profound, beautiful thing happening here where Simeon, who has been waiting for what, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, waiting, guys, waiting in darkness and shadows, now watches as God keeps his word, God's faithful. And so this old man now has stories about God keeping his word according to his word. And he can tell those stories. And the hero of those stories is God himself. So the old person that we're looking for can, like Simeon, say, hey, let me, let me tell you about the promise that God kept to me when I was 35 and I lost my job and my, 
and this and that and the other thing. There are stories that build up over time of God's faithfulness, and those are the stories that we need. He says the Father has... Notice this, I love this. He says the Father has prepared salvation. That word prepared is loaded. Guys, we had nothing to do with our rescue. Nothing. That's what this word prepared means. So God has taken responsibility for preparing our salvation. That word prepared means God designed it, God planned it, and God implemented it. How comforting is that for us this morning? Because I would never have pursued God, but God personally planned my rescue. Before time began, he knew exactly how he was going to rescue and humble John Ransom's heart and open my eyes to my need for for Jesus. So he plans it, he implements it, and then he fulfills it in Jesus. And Simeon can see that in this moment. And so this old person that we're looking for has a profound confidence in God's initiation and pursuit. And that is the comfort that they speak to you over and over and over again. God is faithful. God initiates. God pursues. He pursues because Jesus is a light, he says, for revelation to the Gentiles. And that is good news for all people who are far from God. So this is an older person seeing in the gospel that the Father comes for the people who are in the fringes and the faraway places. That's what the word Gentiles mean, the outsiders. So the old person that we're looking for is deeply concerned and cares for the people who are on the margins and in the fringes because they have grasped what God is doing through the gospel of Jesus. And Simeon says, Jesus is for glory to your people, for our good. Think about that for a minute. When we, We're used to talking about Jesus and glory and God and glory. We're used to talking about him getting all the glory, right? As he should. He gets it all from us. But what happens here? It actually says the Father gives Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That would be us, people who are on the outside. And for glory to his people, to his family. There is a sense in which God gives his family some of that glory. And that is, Simeon is saying these words out, out loud now. And so this is an old person with lots of, li- lots of life wisdom. But with all of the life wisdom that is spoken, it's constantly circling back around to Jesus. Because it's an old person saying, look, man, I got lots of life advice, but the one piece of advice I can give you, that's basically what's going on there. The best thing I can say is, Jesus, you you need Jesus. So yes, all of everything I have to say to you is going to circle back around to him. And then we come to verse 29 where Simeon says, I can die in peace. So the other piece of the profile that we're looking at is this older person who is at peace with dying. Why? Because they have waited on God. They were a runner. God rescues them and intervenes and teaches them how to wait. And so now they're waiting. And in their waiting, their soul's satisfied and at peace. Guys, our souls will never be at peace when we're not waiting on God. Like it's that simple. We spend a lifetime waiting on a spouse and a career and a promotion and a move and this and that. And then before long, we're just waiting on retirement. No peace. Guys, there is no peace. You won't know peace until you're waiting on God. And so this old man has stories of waiting on all the wrong things. And now he has a story with God as as his hero who's rescued him from that waiting and running from God. And now his story is, his testimony is, man, I I can die. When's the last time you've had a conversation with somebody who looked you in the eyes and said, I could die now and I'm at peace with that? Has anybody had one of those recently? I mean, I haven't. Imagine the gift of sitting down with an old person and hearing them say that and then explain why. Because we're so scared of death. 
Let's just sit in that for a minute. We're really afraid of dying. We're really scared of dying. And there's a profound thing that happens here in the life of an older person whose soul has been so satisfied in Jesus that it's not a it's not he's not fronting. You can sincerely say, "I said, I'm I've lived as much life as I need to live. Dying would actually be a good thing now, and I'm not afraid to go." We need old people to be able to say that to us in our dark moments. So Simeon is righteous. He's devout. Here's our profile coming into in the picture. He's righteous, devout, waiting, led by the Spirit. He's got G- stories with Jesus as a hero. He's got a confidence in God that he talks about. He's got a lot of wisdom, but all his wisdom keeps circling back around to Jesus. And he's at peace with dying. And then notice verse 33. It says his father and his mother, what? Marveled at what was said about him. So here are these two young, look, how old's Mary now? Probably 14, 15, 16, maybe at most. She's young. Joseph might be a little older, but probably not much. Probably about the same age. Teenagers. Guys, more than you need additional relationship with peers, you need relationships with old people who are going to say things that make you marvel. They just make you step back and be like, that is unbelievable. And if I could be like that when I'm your age, that's what I want, right? He made them marvel. Simeon finishes up now his piece. He says, Simeon blessed, he says some important things about Jesus that we need to see. Simeon blessed them and said, said to Mary, his mother, behold, Mary, you need to know that your child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and the sword. Now he's looking right into Mary's eyes as a mom and he's saying, but her child is just a baby and she's saying, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, mom, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So let's just look at that very briefly. It says that Jesus is appointed by the Father for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Fam, listen, you need to hear this. The single greatest decision you will ever face in this lifetime is how to respond to Jesus. And your response to Jesus will determine which of those two, those two actions you experience. The gospel is clear, and this is a very clear statement. If you bend your knee to Jesus as your rightful and rescuing king now, he will lift you up out of your rebellion and out of your misery and out of your self-made wilderness wasteland and will you are adopted into the family through repentance. The alternative to that is to reject Jesus, to refuse to bend your knee and to continue pressing on in your independence from him. And the father, as clearly as he can, is warning us that for all those who respond to Jesus in that way, they will not be lifted up. They will be taken down. And in scripture, those words taken down mean uh, judgment. The judgment that we deserve is exactly what we, we will experience. And Jesus will not be serving at that point as our rescuing king. He will be judging us in our rebellion from him. And it will be an eternal judgment and separation from our creator. Your response to Jesus is the single most important response you will ever have in your lifetime. So for the fall and rising of many, he will be opposed. And to Mary, he says, this will be great anguish to you, a sword piercing your soul. And then Simeon says that Jesus will expose the thoughts from many hearts. And man, the more you read the Gospels, that's exactly what going on, is going on, right? Jesus is constantly exposing what we think is hidden 
Thoughts about Jesus are revealed maybe most clearly in what we wait for. We all wait for something. We all wait for someone. Now, none of us naturally wait on God. And this reality makes the good news of the Gospel even better. In the Gospel, our thoughts are exposed. We're runners. We're rebels. We run hard and fast from God. But the beauty of the Gospel is the Father sent Jesus to run after and to rescue runners like you and me. Right? Jesus is the hero of every one of our stories. And so He runs after us. And so the profile of this old person is emerging even more and more. Simeon gives us where he, he speaks to, about Jesus in this kind of way and is constantly pointing us back to Him. So we've seen a bunch in Simeon, but there, there are some more important pieces we need to see from Anna, or Hannah as she was probably known. I don't know why we dropped the H, but we do. So she's Anna. Um, Hannah. Verse 36 says that she was a prophetess. She had a distinguished role in the community. A prophetess is a man or a woman chosen by God to speak for him. So Hannah received special special messages from the Father for his people. That's beautiful. So she spoke on his behalf. We learn that she's the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And you might wonder, why in the world are those details here in this story? Those details are in the story for all those of you who are skeptics and cynics. That's why the details are in there. So the dude who wrote this book, you know what his occupation was? What was Luke? Yeah, doctor. So he loved him some science, facts, knowledge. Um, Don't be offended. He was not down with conspiracy theory, right? It's not a doctor's world. He Science, math, facts, verifiable information, right? That's what a doctor does. That's how he recorded the gospel account. He recorded it in such a way for his friend Theophilus, who would have been an outsider, right? So he records it this way for Theophilus and for us, so that anybody who read this account in the first generation could go back to this hometown and go to City Hall and check the records and verify whether he was telling you the truth or not, right? So it dispels conspiracy theory and lends historical credibility to the account. All right, we've got to move on from that little piece. We learn about Anna. This is the polite way to say it. She was what? This is how you speak about your grandmother in her presence or when you're talking about her to somebody else. She was advanced in years. I think that's the southern way of saying old. In the north, you'd probably just say it a little differently. She was advanced in years. How old was she? Well, most of your Bibles probably say that she was married for seven years and then a widow until the age of 84. Some of your translations probably say it a little bit differently because there's some ambiguity in the way that it's written in the original language. So we don't know for sure. It could go one of two directions. So that's the first one, married for seven years, then a widow until, so she's 84 right now. Or she was married for seven years and then lived as a widow for an additional 84 years, which brings us to today, which would make her like 100 to 105. She's old really old. So you've been in Okinawa long enough, even with COVID restrictions. You've been out for an early morning run or a bike ride or whatever, a walk. And you have been down some of the side streets to your, your nose leads you to the pond, you know, the pond, right? The bread, the sweet bread. And who do you see on the sidewalk in the early morning or in the street in the early mornings in Okinawa? Who's out there? The old lady. And what is her body posture? Hunched over all the way. And what is she doing? She's cleaning up after you in the streets, like sweeping dirt, not off the sidewalk, off the road. That's Anna. She's that old. This is her body posture. 
This is Anna. Like, we can see her in our mind's eye. She's so old. And listen to her life. She didn't depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Guys, here's another piece to our profile. It's an old person who pursues God in the everyday messy stuff of life, not just on Sunday or Saturday in her case. She's old. She had every reason to stay home. She had every reason to stop and quit and just wait to die. The person we're looking for, the old person we're looking for, is driven by a passion for God and His fame and for the good of God's people. And because this is her passion, she gathered with God's people daily. She fasted, skipped meals. She needs to be drinking in Shore right now, but she's skipping meals. You know why she's skipping meals? Not to binge watch her soaps on Netflix or whatever. She's skipping meals to pray for you and her grandkids and all the people in town that she sees every day. That's the woman we're looking for. So she's sacrificing her own comfort when she should be, in our culture, retiring and enjoying nothing but comfort. She sets comfort aside for other people's good and for God's fame. That's the old woman we're looking for. It says she never left the temple. That's um, just a, that's a figure of speech. Luke's not playing with us. Just to say her life, basically, um, maybe cultural Christianity is we have all these pieces and then we fit God in, right? God's a piece. So he's just saying, Anna, God is the piece. Like God is the, the mainstay of her life. And then she fits everything else in. So youth sports is not crowding God out. Like career is not crowding out. All these other things that we tend to prioritize over God. Anna's the old woman who's at the point where like, no, God's at the center. And if there's no room left, it doesn't go. It doesn't fit, right? That's Anna. She went home though. She went home. She went home to eat. She went home to practice personal hygiene, right? It's just Luke's way of saying uh, her devotion to God consumed her day to day. So check this out. Anna arrives on the scene and Simeon has just had his Lion King moment, right? Where Simeon has, actually, did you see the commercial? I think it originated in Europe this year, the kettlebell commercial, the old man in the kettlebell. Do you know what I'm talking about? Fantastic commercial. So lifelong dream, like big family tradition for them to put the star on top of the tree, right? That's the, the image in the commercial. I don't even know what the commercial was for. And I don't care. Like, this is a beautiful story. And so his grandson has been born and is old enough to place the star, but he's weak and frail now. And he knows there's no way he can lift him up. So what does he do for a full season? He goes out to his garage and he just starts the kettlebells with his lat raises and stuff. And he builds himself up to the point that he can lift his son up just like this. And that's kind of how the commercial culminates. That's Simeon. Like Simeon believed God's promises so deeply, he owned all the kettlebells. And you could find him every morning doing his lat raises to make sure that when this moment came, he, guys, that's the old person we're looking for. I know we're joking, but that we are looking for somebody who believes so deeply that God does what he says. The, the drive doesn't go away. They don't quit. They don't quit. They may be in retirement, but their lives have not retired. That's what we're looking for, that old man. And so Anna arrives. Simeon has just raised Jesus, and he says, he prays. He says, Father, now you're letting me die in peace just like you said you would because I'm looking at your promised salvation. He's looking at Jesus. And that's the moment Anna walks into the temple, hunched over, probably can't see yet. She just hears what's happening in the room. Imagine her heart in that moment. Imagine the emotions before she can even look up. 
Tears are streaming down her face because she realizes in that moment what she has spent the last 60 to 80 years of her life waiting for is coming true right before her eyes. Guys, Anna has waited in seasons of darkness and shadow, and now she sees the sun. And two profound things happen when a person has waited in seasons of darkness over a lifetime and they see the sun. Two things happen. They become an extremely thankful person and they talk about Jesus all the time. So they're a thankful person and a speaking person. Check this out in verse 38. She began to what? Immediately, first response, give thanks to God. Giving thanks, returning thanks for something received. Guys, the old woman we're looking for is a consistently thankful person. Now, sadly, many of the old people we know, even from our church experiences or in our family, many of the old women, old men we know are critical and they're bitter and they complain and they're fatalistic and they long for the good old days. If we could just go back, then things would be better. And there's no joy, but that's not the case with Anna. She's not critical, bitter, complaining, or fatalistic. She's not looking to go back. She's looking forward to the redemption that comes through Jesus. And she is praying that Jesus would make all things new in the lives of the people that she cares about. That's why she's crying, because it's possible and it's coming true before her eyes. And so she's a thankful woman, no matter what. She doesn't care that she's hunched over. And then she begins to speak of him. She speaks of Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, which may be our final piece of the profile. She talks more about Jesus than anything else. Now, we're too used to old ladies and old men talking more about whatever talking points they've heard on their cable news as they fall asleep. If they're left-leaning, we just hear left-leaning drivel all the time. If they're right-leaning, we just hear right-leaning drivel all the time. The person that we're talking about is not really that passionate about politics or presidents or conspiracy theories or COVID. They're not. Their passion is Jesus. And so he is the lens through which everything is viewed. And he is the one that is that the words about Jesus come out of their mouths more than any other thing or person. But guys, there are many old people in our churches, but there are not many Simeons and Anna. There just aren't. And I'm not saying that here because well, just because we're all young. I'm saying like back in the States, even lots of old people, not many Simeons or Annas. And obviously very few here. And I intentionally did not single anybody out in the first gathering. And though I'm so tempted, I'm refraining from all humor at this point about ages and stuff like that. We don't have very many Simeons and Annas in this room. But you've known some in your lifetime, right? You could think back as we were working through, through this text. You've, maybe most of you have known a man or a woman like this. There have been three that have profoundly marked my life. Here's the first. Uh, this, this woman's name is Anna. So literally, my Anna, right? Here she is, right out of the text. Uh, we call her Granny Annie. Granny Annie. Only my daughter had the privilege of knowing her. Uh, she is still alive, but neither of my sons uh, really understand who she is. When Anna spoke, the most common words out of her mouth were either praise Jesus or thank you, Jesus, all the time. So much so that when you were talking with her or listening to her in conversation, it became indistinguishable if she was talking to you or talking to Jesus. And you didn't know whether to answer or just sit there and like, I, I'm just going to sit here and listen. That's Anna. Um, man, she was a generous widow. So generous and poor, but generous in her poverty. And so when I, we had gotten out of the Marine Corps, I had gotten out, we were, we were going to college and we were poor. And Anna would send us letters and she, she would write, she'd fill the page with her handwriting, cursive, because that's how old people write. It's a 
You didn't learn it. It's a style of writing the English language, okay? Cursive. Just Google it later. And when the page was full, she'd like turn it and use the space in the margins and write this way and this way. And do you know, like, so her message was in the middle and you know what surrounded the message? Prayers and promises from scripture. And there was not a single space of, of, there was not a single white space left on the page when she was done. And it was tear stained. Ink would run and then fold it up in the paper were singles and fives and tens. That was her grocery money and coupons, because that's what old, like coupons. Like she would send that to us so that we could eat. That's what this, she was generous. And you know what she did with the money? Around the margins and all the blank spaces, Bible verses, promises, calling military men to stop using their money to fornicate, calling people back to, I, I am not kidding. She filled them. Guys, you need an old woman in your life who will gladly deface government property for your good and for Jesus' fame. Like, that's the kind of woman we're talking about right here. That was Anna. She lived a hard life. She should have been a bitter woman. Should have been a complaining woman, a joyless woman. But she was the most joyful, kind, gentle woman I have ever known. She hugged everybody. Good grandmotherly kind of hugs. Her hands were always raised in worship, and I do not come from a hand-raising background. She was passionate about Jesus. She was a modern-day Anna. We need Annas. And then there's George. I met George right after I got out. He, all, he was also at college. He was actually a Marine from 1947 to 1950. That's a long time ago. My dad wasn't even born when he was on active duty. He became a friend and a mentor to me in 2004. He was a steady voice of wisdom and encouragement. He lived across the hallway from me, not in the single dorms, but after I got married, we were in the married dorms. And he and his, his bride, Eleanor, lived across the hall because his son was the president of the college. Um, he himself was not educated. He got out of the Marine Corps and became a butcher. That was his thing, butcher, and then a pastor. And he had a stroke. And uh, so he would walk slowly with his walker across the campus to the Broadway cafe, coffee shop, and he would just sit there. And he would wait for young men to come through the doors. And he would call them over. He'd buy their coffee and he'd sit them down. And he would just listen. He would ask questions and he would listen. And then he would point back to Jesus. He would do all the things that we saw Simeon do. His life was so clearly marked by the Spirit. He was humble. He was quiet. He listened. He spoke gospel truth. He was a beautiful friend. He was a Simeon to me. He, he died four years ago. And then just one more, just because, I mean, these stories are beautiful and... Um, yeah, so this is Gil and Marilyn Parker. Uh, he actually did our premarital counseling, walked Linnea down the aisle, officiated part of our, our wedding. She was a fiery woman, like in, in, in good ways. Um, so I got out of the Marine Corps and I was a self-righteous jerk, hyper-religious, very self-righteous, thought I knew better. And so after about a semester at this college, I was very dissatisfied and disagreed with a lot of what I was seeing. And so in my cage-staging, youthful pride, we walked, he was on staff, I forget what he did. He, he had a role with the school. And so we walked across the campus to their home and sat down at their, their dining room table. And we, I informed them of our decision. I said, hey, we're out of here. This place does not, not faithful to Jesus, not real, blah, 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 blah. I found a different school in Kansas. We're going to move and go. She looks me in the eyes and she says, no, you're not. 
That's dumb. That is a terrible idea. That's not wise. You're not listening to the Spirit at all. And, and in gentleness, though, and in kindness, they walked us through that and helped us walk it back. Guys, we need old people who will hear the decisions that we've made out loud and be bold enough to speak back to us. No, you're, no, you're not. And let me explain why. She was a woman of joy and courage and wisdom. She loved Jesus, even as cancer slowly chipped away at her life. And actually, a year and a half ago, when my family was in the States in the summer of 19, uh, we were able to attend her memorial service. And it was a big church with a lot of seats because they'd been at the college campus forever. She'd been a mom and a grandma to so many young ladies and men there. And at the end, the pastor opened it up for comments. And I'm like, please don't do that. Why would you just do that? So anybody in the room could stand and speak. And lots of people in the room did stand and speak. And we were there for a lifetime and skipped some meals and stuff. But you know what? She deserves that because she invested a lifetime following her after Jesus and being this kind of woman, Anna. She had poured her life into lives of so many. It was the least that we could do. Guys, to wrap it all up, we undervalue the presence of old people. We segregate by generation too much. You need old people. You're never too old for somebody older, and you're never too young to be developing friendships with people who are old like this. But Okinawa wakes us up that, man, we miss something in this demographic, right? We long for a taste of home. What do we long for? Some grandmas and grandpas in the room. I taught a little class. I got to stop doing rabbit trails, but I got to tell you this. I was teaching a class on Hanson like last Monday and Tuesday. And in the small group portion, there's a bunch of young Marines and sailors. Most of them had stories. They were de-churched, right? So they had church backgrounds and they were just, I didn't even ask. They just started telling their stories of why they'd walked away from the church. And uh, this one kid from deep Texas, though, he's telling a story, the most profane kid in the group. And then he's like, man, but you know what I miss? He's like, they did that big meal after church kind of thing. I'm like, it's called a potluck. He's like, yeah, the potlucks. And uh, he's like, man, you always trusted the casseroles from the bat-armed old women. And I'm like, what? And so, like I said, it's just, it just normal conversation, right? But you know what I'm talking about. You know the casserole dish and you know the grandma I'm talking about. But you know what? He stopped. He stopped in that moment. And he paused. And he stopped talking about the food. And it's almost like his eye, this eye of a 19, 20-year-old profane young man who'd walked far from Jesus. And you know what he teared up a minute about? The older woman, like Anna. Because he could remember what she was like. And he knew she was not present in his life in this moment. Guys, we undervalue that person. You don't need more peers. You need more old people. Your kids don't need more peers. They need more old people. And guys, one of the problems in our generation is we often express disappointment with our lack of relationship with old people. Like, man, they're not pursuing me like I'd like. I would have a relationship, but I've never really been pursued. I wish they would. I'm just going to wait until they do. Can we get Deuteronomy 32 back up on the screen? Whose responsibility is it to be the pursuing person? Ask your dad and ask the old people. That's our command for the younger. We are the ones who should be running after them and saying, I need your wisdom. I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen. Talk to me. So what would that look like this week and next year? What needs to change? What letters do we need to write? What phone calls do we need to make? to make this a reality. Hey, one more thing, and then I, I promise I'm done. Our context, we don't have Simeon's and Anna's, do we? So you just got to know this. If you're in this room and you're in your 30s, you're Simeon. You got to hear this. 
you're in your 30s, you're Anna, right? That's the reality on our island. You can't wait anymore. This is the season of life that God has given you at your age now. Uh, it's your turn to be Simeon and to be Anna. That's you in your 30s. Like you're in your 40s. You're like Anna's mom in this context. You're, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're in your 50s. A few of you maybe. Again, remember the old lady in the streets of Okinawa Sweep? Like that's you in this room. Like that, you just got to hear that. But the reason we need to hear that is this. We don't have any old people here, guys. It's your turn. It's our turn. I'm 40. I am twice the age of more than 50% of the U.S. personnel that are serving in a lot of these places. Twice the age. It's our turn, guys. I am Simeon. And you are, I love you. You're Anna. It's our turn. We can't wait. Nobody else is going to do it. It's our turn. Guys, if our hope in Jesus is going to endure through life's long shadows and dark seasons, it will do so with the help of gray-haired the women and men who have waited in darkness but now see the sun. And guys, we are those gray-haired women and men for Okinawa, most of you. We need old people. We need old people. Kendall's going to come. I'm not even sure what we're going to confess right now. But we got something to confess, so Kento.